Oh, you ready? I need a contestant. Who will volunteer? Are you serious? Nobody's going to volunteer? You haven't been? No, I can't do it. So let's see. Uh, let's see. Mark, come on back. Come on up. All right. Come on, Mark. Make it fast. Make it fast, man. We got questions here. Let's get the first question up here. All right, Mark, this is hard. All right. First question. For the past two months, the sermon series has been about prayer, the Holy Spirit, the Super Bowl, or refrigerators? No, what is it? It's the, Holy the Holy Spirit. All right. You mean you were kidding, right? Okay, good. All right. Hey, when we become a true follower of Christ, we must wear sandals. We will never sin again. The Holy Spirit lives inside us and nothing changes. Which is it? Uh, the Holy Spirit lives inside us. Good job. All right. In order for us to have the Holy Spirit in us, we are required to ask God to send him. True or false? false? Hey, that's good. That was a tricky one. We don't have to ask. We don't have to ask. He comes in us when we receive Jesus as our Savior. Good answer. When we trust Jesus to forgive our sins by his sacrifice on the cross, we are baptized by Jesus with the Holy Spirit, freed from slavery to sin nature, an heir of God and co-heir with Christ, or all of the above? All the above. Woo! Man, he's hot today. The word baptism was also used for dyeing cloth, fire hydrants, swimming in lakes, or catching fish. Uh, dyeing cloth. Right, remember the illustration, right? All right, good, good. So what happens when you come to church a lot. Uh, <laughs> Jesus baptizes believers with the Holy Spirit into the Jordan River, his body, the church, a baptismal, or foreign languages. All right, good job. Next one. The filling of the Holy Spirit refers to which two of the following? Okay, two of these, ready? The Holy Spirit empowering you to accomplish God's will, you choosing to submit to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit giving you the ability to eat, and Jesus provides us with food. Uh, the first two. First two, all right. Man, he's crushing it. When we become a true follower of Christ, our sinful nature no longer exists, true or false? Whoa, good. He's even getting the tricky ones. All right. We are able to choose to refuse the urgings of our sinful nature. No, I did that in this early service too. Why are we able to choose to refuse the urgings of our sinful nature? Because the Holy Spirit is in us, because we have been crucified with Christ, because it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me, or all of the above. All the above. Wow, all right. Yeah, next one. The Holy Spirit blank when we ignore his convictions of our sins. Does he threaten us? Does he withdraw his love? Does he leave us or does he grieve? He Good job, all right. The fruit of the spirit is evidence that Christians are fruity, that you are living by the spirit or walking by the spirit, that Adam and Eve sinned by eating fruit or that God created fruit bearing trees. The second one, you are living by the Spirit. And then the last question, the gifts of the Spirit are the same as the fruit of the Spirit, to be used in private, given to edify or build up the church, or are to show people how you are really spiritual? Uh, the third one. The third one, given to edify the church. Let's give Mark a hand. All right, Mark. And here, hold on. You get your own baptism shirt. All right. <laughs> It's the only thing free I had, Mark. That's what you get. If it's not the right size, we can exchange it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So 
Wow, today we are in, I think, week eight of our series on the Holy Spirit. And I have learned so much. As I have prepared this and brought it to, to you and had to, had to present it in a way that, that was digestible, it's been so meaningful to me. And in addition to that, being able to hear back from so many of you who have said that the, the series has meant a lot, that you've not heard preaching on the Holy Spirit or that the Holy Spirit is working in you and God is working in you and you're learning more about it. So thank you for that feedback. It's so helpful. Today I'm especially excited though. We get to talk about what I think is one of the most amazing benefits of the Holy Spirit, what we call the intercession of the Holy Spirit. We're going to find that in Romans 8, but before we do that, we're going to, to review a few things that I, I think it's necessary for us to talk about. The first thing is that when you receive Jesus as your Savior, that is, when you trust that he has forgiven your sins by his death on the cross, when you become a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit is placed inside you. We call that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He's placed inside of you. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit comes inside you forever. He never leaves. So if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. He's never leaving you. He's in your heart. Now, while he's there, he seals us. He is the seal of our salvation. That means that, that our salvation is secure. He comforts us when we are in need of comfort. He advocates for us, meaning he gives us words to speak when we're facing temptation, when we're facing persecution. He advocates for us. And he gives us everything that we need to please God. And without him, we could never please God. Which brings us to the second one, that we are baptized by Christ with the Holy Spirit into his body. At the time of our salvation, we are baptized by the Holy Spirit, baptized by Christ with the Holy Spirit. Now this is very important you understand this because we are baptized by Christ with the Holy Spirit just as when we are baptized with water, we are baptized with water, Christ baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. With this I wanna just take a moment and give a little, a little advertisement. On March 31st, that's Resurrection Day, we will be having a baptism service where we will, we will baptize people with water. That is a picture of what the Holy Spirit does in our hearts. When he baptizes us, he identifies with us or identifies us with Christ's death and resurrection. He gives us a new identity. He puts us into a new environment known as the church. So when Christ baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, we are brought into his worldwide family, the church. When you're baptized with water, that baptizes you. It's a symbol of what happens in your heart, but it also identifies you with the local church, the local expression of Jesus' worldwide church baptism. Listen to what it says about our identity with the death and resurrection of Christ. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. This means that we are no longer slaves to sin. Well, what does that mean? We are freed from being a slave to sin. You see, before Christ, the sin nature was our master. We were obligated. We were a slave to that master. 
And we, we had no choice but to obey that master. But once Christ comes into your life, once he puts the Holy Spirit in you, we are now dead to our sin, which means that that master no longer has the authority to rule us. Now, we still struggle with sin, but it no longer has the authority to rule us. And so we are not its slave anymore. Listen to what what, uh, the Bible tells us here. It says, we are dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ, for sin shall no longer be your master. There it is no longer our master, because you are not under law, but under grace. And so this brings us to Romans 7, where God reminds us that the Holy Spirit also frees us from the obligation to the law. So we're freed from sin, and it's our slavery to the sin, but we are also freed from our slavery to the law. Well, what does this mean? Isn't the law good? Yes, the law is perfect, the law is the embodiment of, of God himself. It's, it's his holiness given to us. But the problem is we can't keep the law on our own. We can never fulfill it. And then on top of that, when the law is present, it excites our sin nature and says, the law? No, we must break it. And the problem is that the law isn't, is external and the law isn't strong enough to, to put this down. So we can never live by the law. So the law stands and condemns us and says, you can't be holy enough. You can't be like Christ. You cannot measure up to God. So we have sin that condemns us and we have the law condemning us. At the end of Romans chapter seven, Paul says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will free me from this body of sin? And he says that because there's no hope. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no hope because the sin nature is ruling and the law is condemning. And so now we come into, we come into chapter eight. But before we get there, I want to just boil this down one more time. Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That doesn't mean, though, that we always access the Holy Spirit. You see, without the Holy Spirit, when when we are living our lives without accessing the Holy Spirit, without being filled with the Holy Spirit, without submitting to the Holy Spirit, then we are living lives that will be ruled by sin or condemned by the law. One or the other, or both ruled by sin and condemned by the law without the Holy Spirit. We desperately need the Holy Spirit. And so when we get to Romans 8, this chapter lists what your life can look like when you are living under the control of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna just step through these very quickly here. The first thing that Romans 8 tells us is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation because sin can't condemn us, the law can't condemn us, because we're living by the holiness of Jesus Christ. It's his life imparting, imparted to us as our sin gets imparted to him. He died for our sin, he lives our life for us. Next, we're set free from the law of sin and death, where sin and death ruled, now we're set free from that. We have no obligation to that sin nature anymore. You see, that master had the authority to rule once before, but now he doesn't have the authority, and he may raise his head to try to rule us again, but I don't have to do that anymore because I have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, living in me. 
Next, he condemned sin in sinful man. I love this. When a, when a building is condemned, it's rendered useless. Useless, you can't use that building anymore. So when Christ condemns sin in sinful man, what he's saying is it's useless. It has no power. It can't rule you anymore. It's powerless. So that's what he does. He condemns our sinful nature in our sin, in our sinfulness. Next, the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Do you want life and peace in your mind? Then we get that by the Holy Spirit living in us. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you cannot have life and peace in your mind. It says that the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Moving on, your body is dead because of sin, but your spirit is alive because of righteousness. So though we live in bodies that are ever growing old and subject to age and to to disease, our spirits are made alive. When Christ came in your heart, your spirit was made alive. And this is so important because if our spirit is dead, it cannot communicate with the Holy Spirit that lives in us. But because he has enlivened our spirits, we now have the ability to communicate with the Holy Spirit through the spiritual language, which is prayer. Without being alive in our spirits, we could never communicate to God ourselves. So let's move to the next one. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. So not only was your body dead because of sin, but now, but your spirit is alive because of Christ. But now he says, I'll give life to your mortal bodies as well. So this is talking about that before Christ, my body was obligated to obey the commands of the sin nature. And I used the parts of my body to, to fulfill the sin nature. But now with the Holy Spirit living in me, my body can be used to please God. My body can be used to love God. My body can be used to love others. That's what he, how he gives life to our mortal bodies, not only talking about the future immortality that we will have as Christians. Next, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. So you and I do not need to fear the wrath of God because the sin nature rules us or because the law condemns us. The wrath of God is no longer on us for those things. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in us fulfilling the law. The perfect law is fulfilled by the Holy Spirit living inside the Christian and helping us to please God. And then find, oh, and and we are made sons and daughters. We are made children of God. We who were enemies of God, God says, you're now my children. I've adopted you. I've taken you into my family. And then next, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So not only are we children, but we are heirs. That has a, a sense of the future to it. We're not only sons and daughters right now, but we are heirs forever meaning that we will inherit, we are co-heirs with Christ, we will inherit along with Jesus, God's own son. We will inherit the beautiful things that God has for us, every one of them. And speaking of the future, he says our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Oh, the things we go through now, the, the, the suffering that we go through, it's nothing compared to the glory 
that will be revealed in us when Christ comes back. I can't wait for that. Are you excited for that time? But I love the honesty here. I love that the Bible is so honest with this. I love how, how we just want to appreciate what Paul says here. He just listed all these amazing things that you and I have because of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, but yet there is present suffering. We suffer. We suffer because we live in a body that is decaying. We suffer because we struggle with sin. We suffer for many reasons. The truth is that our life here on earth really is a suffering. But I love how he reminds us that we aren't the only ones who are groaning, who are suffering under the curse of sin. In fact, all of creation suffers. Listen to what this says. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So not only are we groaning, but the whole world is groaning under the weight of sin, under the darkness and the heaviness that the curse has brought upon the world. It's groaning, waiting desperately to be released from the chains that you and I experience in our life. And though our present trials may be inconsequential in light of the future glory Still, these trials have a devastating effect on our lives. Life is hard. It's just hard. We suffer. We struggle. There's temptation. There's suffering. There's persecution. Life is hard. But even in this, listen to what the Holy Spirit does for us. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit and knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I want us to soak in this just for a little bit. First of all, acknowledge that Paul is saying here that we are weak. And he uses the we. This is the Apostle Paul. And he's saying, we are weak. It's our weaknesses. We don't know how we should pray. Wait, Apostle Paul, come on. You know how to pray. He says, no, we're all weak. None of us knows how to pray. None of us knows what to say to the Lord. And we are weak. Think about this. We're weak because of the struggles of life. We're weak because we are wrestling with sin. We're weak because we're striving to be holy in an unholy environment. We're striving to be light in darkness. We're striving to be life in a culture of death. We groan. We groan because our families didn't turn out the way we had hoped. We groan because our bodies are aging and we wrestle with pain and aches. We groan because we realize that that this world is not getting any better. It's not. 
And we groan and we yearn for, the, for wholeness that we know we cannot have on this earth. So are you groaning? Are you groaning? Do you feel the weight of these things in your own life? The beautiful thing is that you're not, you don't have to be dependent upon your own strength to make it through. You see, God steps in. God intercedes for us. God comes in and, and does that for us. Our weakness is also because we don't know how to pray, it says. And think about this. We're so inadequate when we pray. I mean, do we even really know what to pray for? In any, any given situation, you don't even know all the facts. How can we pray adequately if we don't know the facts? Or how about, you know, uh, sometimes we don't know God's plan. We don't know his will. And so we don't know how to pray. Or we don't even know our motives when we pray. And then, and then I think about my, my own lack of faith or just being lazy with prayer or, or my, my mind wandering. Anybody experience a wandering mind when you pray? It's like I can be focused on things all day long, but as soon as I pray, my mind is everywhere. Why is that? It's such a struggle. And then on top of that, we don't even know what we need. So really, how can we pray adequately? And if we can't pray, if prayer is the language of the Spirit, the language that connects our spirits to God's Spirit, and we can't even pray adequately, well then, how can we get from God what we really need? This is what's so beautiful. God prays for us. The intercession of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. God actually prays for you. The Holy Spirit intercedes for you. How do we get this help? We just go to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. When we are weak, when we're struggling, when life is tough, the Holy Spirit pleads over us before the Father. Listen to what Tony Evans says here. Tony Evans says here. He says, we groan because of sin's effect upon us. The Spirit groans in prayer in order to identify with our groanings. And he delivers them to God and he delivers to us from God what we need to be sustained in a world that produces pain. That's what God does for you and me. He intercedes for us. He intercedes for us and it says here he even intercedes for us according to the will of God. So think about that. I don't know what the will of God is. It's okay. The Spirit intercedes for me on my behalf and turns my prayer into the will of God. Think about that. He takes your prayers and he alters them. He changes them. You say a prayer and he turns it around and moves it and reforms it, reshapes it and says, presents it to God and says, here's what the prayer is so that it fits with the will of God. So I think about, I think about the student who says, oh Lord, please make it snow tomorrow. Well, the Holy Spirit takes that prayer and says, well, God, he's praying for snow. He doesn't really want you to change your plans for the weather. What he wants is to be able to, you, for you to bring to his mind the things he studied for his algebra exam, or else he wants the teacher to be sick and not give the test. Something like that, right? Or for the faithful wife who's praying for her husband to come to church, and the Holy Spirit takes that and he says, Lord, what she really wants is to see spiritual life in her husband. She wants him to take the leadership of the home, Lord. 
You see, the Spirit is always reinterpreting for us because we don't know how to pray. We don't know what God's will is all the time. And so we pray our prayers and the Holy Spirit transforms them into something that's beautiful and acceptable to God. So by the, when the prayer leaves your heart, by the time it gets to the heart of God, the Holy Spirit has made it exactly what God wants to hear. Isn't that beautiful? It takes a lot of the pressure off, doesn't it? Spurgeon says it this way. He says, the desires, of the, spirit prompt, the, the desires that the Spirit prompts may be too spiritual for such babes in grace as we are to actually describe or express Yet the Spirit writes the desires on the renewed mind and the Father sees it. See, we don't have to pray perfectly. That takes a lot of pressure off, doesn't it? How many times have you felt like, oh, I just, I can't pray. I don't want to pray out loud. I don't pray good enough. And what about Brother Leon? There's nobody here named Leon, right? Okay, good. What about Brother Leon? He prays so well. He has all the right words. He prays scripture all the time. He's such a good prayer. You know what the Bible says? Even Brother Leon isn't praying well. None of us prays well. None of us prays adequately. We don't because we don't know how to pray and because we are weak, even Brother Leon. And so it takes the pressure off Listen to what Isaiah says. Isaiah says it's possible to honor God with our lips, but not with our heart. Oh, you hear me say this almost every Sunday. God is interested in the heart. God wants our hearts. That's where he's always looking. So what's all this stuff about groaning? Let's talk about heartfelt prayers. Let's talk about the prayers of the hearts, the things we can't even express but it's in our heart. See, God is not interested in your spiritual sounding prayers or your official sounding prayers or your rote prayers. I think of myself, I think of how many times I have prayed meaninglessly, meaninglessly because I just want to sound good. I'm more concerned about sounding good than about really connecting to God. Or meaninglessly because I just want to, to check off the prayer box. Great, I prayed today or meaninglessly because I'm more interested in the chicken Alfredo sitting in front of me than I am in God who gave it to me. How often do we pray that way? God wants our heart. He wants to hear the prayers of our hearts. Good and godly sounding prayers do not automatically equal good and godly prayers. God wants your heart, and he wants your heart because he's always searching your hearts. That's what the scripture says. He who searches the hearts. God is always searching your heart. There's never a time he's not examining your heart, looking for you that communication, desiring to talk to, to you and talk with you and to hear that communication coming from your heart. He's always looking and he knows. Jesus reminds us, he says, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. It's because God is always searching your hearts. So our prayers don't have to have formed words necessarily. He wants our hearts. So what we have taking place, I think is one of the most amazing things in the Christian life. God the Father, searching your heart, looking for your prayers. Jesus, the Son, advocating 
for you, saying, you can hear their prayers because they love me. They're one of your children, Lord, because I paid the price for them. And then the Holy Spirit taking our feeble prayers and making them a beautiful worship to God. In all of scripture, we don't have a more beautiful and intimate picture of the intimate working of the Trinity, the triune God, this God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the amazing thing is that you and I are invited into that process. We're invited into that wonderful, intimate relationship that God has with himself. He invites us in through prayer. Christian, we can't lose. We cannot lose when we have the triune God speaking on our behalf and inviting us in to his working. It's beautiful. So do you ever feel like, like things are in your heart that they're too deep to express? Ah, oh, God is already searching your heart. He knows them. Do you feel unworthy, like you can't pray, you're not adequate to pray? Jesus is advocating for you. Do you feel like you don't have the words or like you don't know God's will? No problem. The Holy Spirit is speaking on your behalf and transforming your prayers before the Father. We cannot lose. This is beautiful. And he does this, it says, for all the saints. He does this for the saints. That's talking about believers, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. So you might ask, so what does he do for unbelievers? Well, God is calling unbelievers. If you're here today and, and this is foreign to you and you don't know what I'm talking about, well, maybe you're an unbeliever. Maybe you haven't put your trust in Christ. Maybe you haven't asked for the forgiveness of your sins and received the sacrifice of Christ on your behalf. Well, if you're here today, that's because God is working something very special for you. He's calling you. You're not here by mistake. This was his design to have you here. You're here because he said, I want them to hear this today, and this is what you need to hear. Christ died for you. Christ loves you so much that he gave up his life. Where you should have died because of your sin, he said, I'll die. I'll die on her behalf. I'll die on his behalf. That's what he does for you. And he invites you to step into that relationship to stop being an enemy of God and come into being a child of God. That's the only way to be a child of God is to receive by faith the gift of salvation that Jesus has for you today. And if you do that, then you can be a part of the saints who experience this wonderful working of our God in your life. And for the believers here, the question that I have is, are you praying? You know, it says that the Holy Spirit will intercede for your prayers. Well, the assumption is that you are actually praying. I mean, you've got to give him something to work with, right? If he's going to take your prayers and reform them, you've got to give him a prayer. You know, many times we're more worried about, oh, well, I don't pray very well, but I think we should be worried about that I don't pray. Right? Because that's the real problem, isn't it? That we're not praying. I want to give you this, this illustration. When there's something wrong with an infant, an infant cries. 
And it cries because it doesn't know the language of its parents. It doesn't matter what language you speak. Every infant speaks the same language. Wah! <laughs> right? Every infant cries. They're, it's, it's groaning, isn't it? They're groaning because they don't know the language of the parent. Ah, oh, but when mom hears it, she says, oh, his diaper's dirty. Oh, she's hungry. Oh, there's something wrong. This, that's a distress cry. Oh, they're just tired. They're, they need sleep. Right? Mom seems to be able to just interpret whatever the cry is. If the baby is not crying, then we assume everything is okay unless the baby's not crying for too long. Then we know something's very wrong, right? It's that way with us. If we're not praying, it's not because everything's okay. We're too weak, we're too needy to not be praying. If we're not praying, it could be because we think we don't need prayer. It might be because we're just too burdened with things and we don't even know where to go. It might be because we feel like our prayer hits the ceiling and I haven't seen answered prayer for a while so I'm just gonna stop. It might be because we feel inadequate. We wonder if the Lord hears us. We wonder if he'll accept us. Let me tell you, God loves you. I mean my word. He gave up himself for you. Does he not want to hear your prayers? And yeah, sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers right away. Sometimes the answer isn't what we want. Sometimes we just don't understand. But that's where our hearts just groan and communicate to God and say, God, I, I, don't, I don't know why. I don't understand. But I'm grieving and my heart is groaning. The Holy Spirit takes that. God is looking at your heart, reading your heart, the Holy Spirit taking your groans and groaning on your behalf before the Father. How do you live life without that? And so our application today, our, our first application really is to confess our prayerlessness. Stephen's gonna come and lead us in a song, Lord, I need you. The words to this are, are perfect for this message because it's just a cry to the Lord. Lord, I need you, and we do. We need him in every way. And as we sing this song, our elders and their wives are gonna come forward and we'll be here up front, ready to come alongside you and pray with you. So, so come, friend, come. If you don't know the Lord and want this kind of intimate relationship with Jesus, come forward. If you're a believer and you're following Christ but you've been prayerless, come forward and pray. Come forward and, and let, let our people come alongside you. Or maybe there's just a burden that you can't even express but you just want somebody to pray with you. Come. Come. Christian, come. Let's stand together and sing.